for me, what really makes me happy is seeing people like you um, who are Japanese or part Japanese uh, kind of realizing, oh, like I can do it too, right? It's like, I, I just have to try it, right? Like trying is half the battle and, and you there's, I think, a joy to it, right? Obviously we have to eat food every day to sustain ourselves, but more than that, I think there is another aspect to food and enjoyment that can be had uh, and as you've experienced and uh, the other part of it too is people who are not Japanese seeing me cook these dishes um, you know, knowing it's not something I've always done I think for them it's like oh yeah like they can try it too. This is the Power Now Podcast. I am your host Corey Yuji O'Connor. In this podcast we talk about what is power or not. Power or not is a term used in Olympic weightlifting to describe a power snatch or a power clean. If you catch it above the hips, then it's called power. If it's caught below, then it's called na or full lift. So in this podcast, we talk about that gray area, what is in between or what is that topic of discussion. And so hope you guys enjoy it. If you guys are driving a long commute to work, you guys are drinking a coffee in the morning, just want something in the background as you do stuff. To sit down and enjoy, and let's get cracking. Welcome back to another episode of Power Now Podcast. I am your host, Corey Yuji. Today's guest, we have the one and only Dean Kenji Otsuka. Is that how you pronounce it? Hopefully, yeah, I did nice. it right. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm Japanese as well. But uh, he is a 61 67 kilo weightlifter. He's an amazing chef. And if you don't follow him, you should. His Instagram is Dean Kenji. So, Dean.Kenji. I think that's the correct, right? Uh, Dean Kenji, no dot. No yeah. dot. Okay, no dot. Just Dean Kenji there. And um, how are you doing today? I'm great, man. Good to uh, be on this podcast. I love, love what you're doing. Thanks, man. I appreciate you so much. Yeah, just uh, I guess real quick, uh, just say like a little background of like what you do and, and just your life right now. Yeah. Uh, again, my name is Dean. I am a 61 slash 67 lifter from Lost Battalion Hall which is a uh, gym out in Queens, currently not open. It's actually like a rec center. Uh, they've had a team since like the 1950s or 1960s out there. Uh, they're shut down right now for renovations, but there's a lot of history there. Uh, I started lifting back in 2012. Uh, so I've been at it for, for quite a while. Uh, my background before weightlifting was actually powerlifting. Uh, before powerlifting was, I played baseball and basketball growing up. Uh, in high school, I played only basketball, surprisingly, even though I'm very, very uh, short. Uh, but that's, you know, what I love to do. And uh, I mean, obviously, I did weight training for basketball. Uh, in college, I continued to, to work out and I play basketball just recreationally. Uh, and then one of my buddies was like, oh, you're like really strong for like your size or weight. Uh, you should do powerlifting. So I did powerlifting for I think it was like my second two or my last two years of college. Uh, he was like, yeah, you should do it. You could set some uh, junior state records for powerlifting. Uh, back then, it was like equipped powerlifting. So wearing like the bench shirt, uh, squat suit, which a lot of people probably don't really know about. Mm -hmm. uh, but that was some that was a, a, you know, a whole different whole different sport, I want to say, than like regular powerlifting. Uh, and then, uh, you know, when I moved out to New York, I uh, was for work. I started working for Uniqlo. They're a Japan based clothing company. Oh, wow. Uh, that was 2011. Yeah, I uh, got got into their like management training program. So uh, which is, you know, awesome. Uh, that was, I think, January 2011. But at some point I was like, oh, I want to, you know, get into competing again in powerlifting. 
it was the scene wasn't that big back then especially in new york like i couldn't find a powerlifting gym yeah uh really any sort of strength sport was pretty rare out here at that time like crossfit hadn't quite picked up i think in call when i was in college which was like 2005 six seven by like 2008 9 i had a couple friends doing crossfit but it was like back when they just posted on the website it was like really simple what there weren't really like yeah. big boxes or anything uh so yeah it was like I was like trying to get back you know into like doing something outside of just like the regular work grind uh and yeah I walked into a weightlifting gym I was like oh like maybe I'll try weightlifting out so I walked into Lost Battalion Hall which is uh again it's like a old rec center like it's not in great condition and the weightlifting is down uh in the basement Oh, so wow. I walked down in the basement. Yeah, it's like it, there's a lot of random stuff going on. It's in Rigo Park, Queens, so it's very, very diverse. Uh, when I walked down there, there's actually ping pong tables set up. There's probably a dozen, um, yeah, maybe 12 to 15 ping pong tables all around. And there's like <laughs> Chinese men and women and a couple of like, you know, random people just playing ping pong, like hardcore. Dude. Uh, and then the weightlifting platforms are there. Like I could hear the banging of the weight. <laughs> Uh, and then also all the like, as I got down there, I started hearing all the ping pong balls. Yeah, uh, it's it pretty great. I uh, went down there. I was wearing like my Chuck Taylors, you know, because uh, that's all I had for powerlifting. Uh, and yeah, I sat there. I had emailed uh, one of the coaches there. I think it was Lenny Bassino uh, who was involved there. Uh, he was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll be there. Joe Triolo will be there. Uh, so I met Joe, who's been my coach, you know, since then. Oh, wow. Uh, I sat down. Yeah, I sat down next to him and he was like, yeah, just, you know, uh, here's what it is. And this is what weightlifting is and telling me a little bit about it. Uh, and I sat there for like, must have been 15 or 20 minutes. And he's like, oh, he's like, why are you just sitting there? He's like, let's go. <laughs> uh, and I was like, oh, I just want to take it in and like, see what's going on. Like, get the, get, a, get the lay of the land and yeah, make sure I'm not like stepping on anyone's toes, you know, because uh, they were like, yeah, at the time it was pretty busy there there were probably 20 lifters or so and it's not that big of an area there's kind of like three uh i guess sort of like six platforms but it's like the runway style so it's like three kind of mm. runways mm -hmm. um and so it was like a lot of people crammed in there and there's just like small dungeon in the back where they like store the equipment and they people can squat uh but yeah that was my first experience and so he got me there and he got me you know snatching uh in my chuck taylor's and uh, eventually I got shoes and he was like, oh, it's like, you, you're pretty strong. I mean, that first day it was like, you're pretty strong. It's like, let me work with you. He's like, if you, you know, do well at this upcoming meet, like I, you can qualify for a national meet, which was the American Open. Oh, okay. At that time they had only one. It was the just the American Open. So okay. it was basically like the finals. Uh, and that was, I think, mid-September uh, 2012. And then he was like, oh, do the Metropolitan Open, which was one of the big meets at the time in New York City uh and that was like end of october and so he's like oh let me train you for it so i had like about five six weeks he's like if you do well at that you'll qualify for the american open and i'll fly you out there for it it was in palm springs oh wow and i love that yeah my family is out in california so that was like oh it'd be awesome they could come out and, and see me uh so yeah that was that and uh, i qualified for the american open at my first meet i think right i was looking at my, some of my like old totals my first meet uh it was like a 82 snatch and a 104 clean and jerk uh and then that qualified me at the time dang yeah, i mean that's a Tulsa pretty good snatch just starting out not bad i know yeah he, he actually i think when i walked in like i had before i had gone in i had when i was training just on my own powerlifting and stuff 
I like messed around with snatch before. So I think I had at some point maybe power snatch like 60. Okay. Um, but I hadn't done a full snatch or anything. And he got me to 84 and like that was like six weeks. So that was pretty, pretty awesome. Dude, that's insane. Yeah. Like yeah. you actually have a very somewhat similar but different background, kind of how I started too. And I just wanted to reel back about your gym that you had was like a park. Well, there's one in uh, Chicago. Like I'm sure, you, have you heard of Sayer Park in Chicago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like the same concept. It's literally in a basement and it's a part of a park district. And it's one of the oldest weightlifting gyms in America as well. So maybe when weightlifting first started, maybe that that was the thing. Like in major cities, they just had park districts and had like Olympic style, I guess, like sports because you had like ping pong and other stuff. I don't know. It, no, it definitely was. I think uh, I've read like uh, there's a Tommy Kono. He has like two books. I've read a couple other like weightlifting books and they mentioned some of these spots uh, like that, like, like the ones, the ones that we went to. Um, I see lots of Italian mentioned, you know, by random old timers because it was probably one of the few spots that they, they came to New York. Uh, that was a spot that they could go and train. But I think, yeah, like it was like a lot of YMCA's and and rec centers where people would, would be able to to train. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, this yeah. Is something, I was never there like a member at Sayre Park, but I've always heard about it and I was able to visit there. But when you're talking yeah. about that, I instantly thought of that. And then you had powerlifting. I was doing like powerlifting type lifting before I stepped into weightlifting. So I felt like having a good strength base rolling into like weightlifting helps out a lot. I did have to work on the mobility. I don't know. How about you? Like, were, were you like really stiff? Or are you very flexible? Like in the beginning? That was the, the one thing, right? I think, yeah, exactly. You, you said it exactly. Like you have a strength base, which I think is extremely helpful and probably an, an athletic base too. Did you play like sports yeah, growing up? Yeah, yep. I played like baseball and soccer growing up and well, American football too, before I played soccer. So like, yeah, it's always involved in sports as well too. Yeah, I think that, that makes a big difference. I think having that general athleticism uh, and then a strength base is huge. Obviously, it I think saves time for people coming in who, if they don't come in and you don't have a strength base, you obviously have to build that. If you have that coming in, that I think is certainly can be helpful. Um, but yeah, I think uh, for me that the, the mobility was was huge. I think as as most people, I had like a broomstick uh, that I just had in my room. <laughs> I remember I was living in this like tiny shitty apartment or. Am I allowed to? I don't know yeah, I'm yeah. To I'm shit. always cussing. It's like <laughs> tiny, <laughs> this tiny apartment in the East Village. It was it was pretty bad. It had you know roaches. It was every it was it was definitely a classic uh, New York City apartment. Uh, but I had like a broomstick in there, and so every every day I'd be like doing stretches with it, doing like technique work when I was first starting out. Just you know, just doing an overhead squat. Obviously, you're, you're like learning how to do that properly and comfortably. Uh, so definitely, you know, it took some time to get that down. Definitely wasn't something that came super naturally. But again, it's like you have that athletic base. I think it makes a big difference in terms of learning the movements and learning the movements quickly. Exactly. Yeah, there's something to say for like, obviously, it's such a technical sport. You got to be like somewhat coordinated and just athletic in general, because it's a, such a dynamic sport that we uh, that we are in. And um, yeah, it's just interesting. Like what? I'm kind of just curious about some of the older stuff too. If I'm going off track, just let me know. But like, as far as basketball, like, what position did you play? Were you a point guard? Point guard all my life. So actually, it's in uh, Southern California. They have these Japanese American basketball leagues. Oh, what? Uh, they've been around. Yeah, they've been around for decades. Uh, and I think a lot of them started out as like church leagues, um, but kind of they were ways for Japanese Americans to uh, socialize with each other to kind of keep a network going. Uh, I mean, as you know, after World War II, with uh, yeah, a lot of 
uh, Japanese Americans were mm -hmm. in the concentration camps and afterward, they didn't really concentrate into like, you know, there's there are obviously uh, Japan towns in, in different cities, right? But they're certainly not as densely populated as like Chinatowns, for example, yeah. right? Uh, Japanese Americans after the war wanted to assimilate uh, in, into American culture a lot more. So there's less of that. Uh, but one way they were able to stay in touch was through kind of these sports leagues. And one of them was a Japanese American basketball league uh, where I'm at in Southern California. All of them are associated with different organizations like a um, Buddhist church. Uh, there's like a I think there was a Protestant church. Uh, we were like an optimist club, which is an octagon was re was uh, related to octagon, mm -hmm. uh, which basically was like community service. Oh, wow. Uh, so I grew up, you know, we would all do a lot of community service. Uh, we had the basketball league and I started playing when I was like four uh, and started playing T-ball when I was four. So my my dad loved baseball. My grandpa loved baseball. Yeah. Uh, he played he played in high school, uh, Downey High School uh and he played in the army he played for like an army team where they sent him to like the philippines to like play for like army baseball no way uh, yeah it's pretty pretty neat and my dad played football actually in high school he grew up on, on the farm and he played football in santa Ana and in college his junior college he played football there too so yeah i'm sure like some genetics played a role about you being strong as well like i think so yeah you know yeah. and there's definitely i think yeah that's one thing i think people sometimes overlook is is there can be a little bit certainly of a advantage right genetically in terms of athleticism or strength right some people naturally have it or not uh mm -hmm. i would say i'm somewhere in between in terms of that uh but also the other thing i think you learn playing sports is there's like a mindset you learn a competitive mindset right oh, yeah. and then having that discipline uh to be able to to do it to realize it's something that's going to take time and you're going to have to put in the work it's not going to be easy, uh, but you're going to improve if you do put in the time. Uh, and you learn that, you know, when you've played sports all your life, I think that's something that you do learn, which is applicable not just to weightlifting, if you end up doing that later, uh, but obviously toward life as well. Yeah, dude, just organized sports in general just helps out like when you're a young age, like you get friends, you get discipline, you have a routine, you have a regiment, like school and then sports. There's a lot of value just like building character like out of doing sports like that. I feel like one hundred percent. And like um, as far as uh, you said you played baseball, right? And yep. How? What was your? Were you better at basketball or baseball? And what did you play in baseball? Uh, in baseball, I played second base, center field. Uh, you know what? Actually, I was actually better at baseball growing up. Uh, I just didn't have as much passion for it. I think that I enjoyed. It's funny. I feel like I would have enjoyed it had I stayed with it and uh you know baseball is a it's obviously a slower sport um it's a little bit more of a, of a chess game um which i think is something that i've come to appreciate more uh but you know when you're younger basketball is like you know it's constant action right oh, back yeah. and forth um and i i think in high school we at my high school had a very good baseball team uh i would have uh, the coach at one point was like he knew i had played and i played from like age eight probably like eight to 11 or eight to 12, I was playing almost year round because mm -hmm. there'd be all stars in the summer. I played pony, pony league baseball. Yeah, me too. And we had, you played pony. Yeah. yeah so we, yeah, too, yeah. So, right. So we were able to use the big barrel bats. Uh, the field was like a little bit bigger. Mm -hmm. Um, so you get to like lead off and steal bases. Uh, and so we, uh, we actually went to the pony league world series, 
uh, which was up in Monterey. Oh, so that was when I was 11, I think probably 11 or so. Dang. Um, but that was an experience. Yeah. So we played against like teams from around the world and uh, ended up, I think we got third. We lost to Puerto Rico and Taiwan. They were powerhouses, really. That's wild. So, I feel like Puerto Rico always yeah. has good, really good baseball. But then those dudes are like, you know, 17, you know, <laughs> Dude, they had this. I have this like picture. Oh, my gosh. I have a picture. I think I'm like probably like four foot, seven inches tall. Uh, and I'm next to this guy and he's almost six feet tall. He's massive. Um, their first baseman. He ended up like winning the home run derby. No, um, I mean, he could just crush it. But he looked like a grown man. You know, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was classic. It, it was good. It was, it was a lot of fun. That's super funny. Yeah. Baseball for me, like I was better at baseball too, but I loved football better. And then it was so weird because during the time I was going to be a freshman for high school, it was like um, the World Cup was going on for what was it? 2006 World Cup. And all my friends were like playing soccer. So I was just in this whole summer. I was just playing soccer and I wasn't even going to football practice because it was just optional at that point. And our, our, my school was kind of, it was kind of ghetto. It wasn't really organized. Like, so when I showed up to football practice, it was just like, hey, line up here if you want to be in this position. If you want to be a running back, stay in this line. If you want to be a wide receiver, you go in this line. And, and it, I was like, I'm not going to get any playing time. I'm small. No one knows me. Like, screw this. Like, so I just ended up playing soccer and our team wasn't great. But like, we end up, you know, I ended up playing like all four years in high school. That was kind of like when I started playing soccer. But this is funny yeah. because like the fact that like I could have played baseball too, but I just only I think I only played one year of baseball because I yeah just just cause and then I was like yeah I don't really feel like it. Yeah, yeah, I know something about baseball too. And you know, I think in high school, right? Like football, like for me, it was like if you're football. There's basketball. Like those were kind of like the two kind of main sports, yeah. right? It's oh like yeah. Basketball games were like where it was at, and so there's a little bit more, uh, I guess, glory and excitement around around uh basketball that's what it was yeah 100 i was just horrible yeah. i played like ymca leagues and basketball horrible like i just remember <laughs> getting my stuff packed all the time i would get a whole bunch of steals <laughs> and they would think i'm good because i'm like i'm fast and i'm i was like a good dribbler so i'd play point guard too but i was just like kind of like you know rondo like i i would never shoot it just pass it just throw dimes <laughs> all day you know <laughs> nice <laughs> know your role yeah know your role exactly I was that and then like whenever we play pickup i'm just like that guy who has like that energy because everyone needs that person that hype man to like guard someone yep 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 the hustle person yeah, yeah. That, that was me <laughs> uh love well, it. all right well fast forward yeah so like you moved all the way across the country i'm assuming you went to college out in new york uh no i went to college yeah in southern california yes yeah, oh, okay. so i grew up there southern california in orange county westminster uh, and then I went to UCLA and then graduated and then moved out to, to New York. Oh. That was for Uniqlo. They sent us to like Japan for half a year uh, to learn how to like run stores, came back and opened them up. Uh, so I was with Uniqlo until 2014 and then left them and started working in the entertainment industry and have been in that industry ever since, which uh, is definitely tough to balance with weightlifting um you know the hours that we do can be pretty intense when we're like when we're shooting our season uh but you know i i think out of any sport weightlifting is one that you can do somewhat seriously without having to you know commit all day every day to uh, if you think the training required for some sports right there is obviously the sport and team athletic training plus there's like outside uh training that you're doing right like strength training mm -hmm. for a lot of sports with weightlifting 
you know, you can put in the two, three hours, you know, four or five times a week, uh, do that hard. And the rest is about recovery. Right. So I think, uh, yeah, it's been fun being able to compete at the national level um, as kind of like a, just a hobby, I guess, more or less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I enjoy doing. So, do obviously once you got in, uh, introduced to weightlifting, you just like left powerlifting alone. Because I remember at a time there was like juggernaut. There's a lot of like powerlifting and weightlifting that was like pretty popular at a point in time, and I, that never really lasted too long. But like you could see a lot of crossover that was going on, either like people going to powerlifting to weightlifting or vice versa. But more people go to powerlifting to weightlifting, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I when I switched over, I went completely weightlifting, and that was it. I like uh, never, never looked back. Um, yeah, I think that once you start doing weightlifting, uh, it's just like the something about the sport is so different, right? You in powerlifting, uh, the training is obviously different, um, but the technique work that you're doing uh, in, in weightlifting is, is so much different, right? The, the skill that's required is very different. I'm not saying powerlifters aren't very skilled, um, but obviously, you know, the snatch and the clean and jerk are very complex movements. Uh, and also in terms of the competition, when you're doing a weightlifting competition, it's only you out there, right? Yeah. You yeah. think about powerlifting. Yeah. There's, there's spotters and everyone's around you. Yeah. It's very different than the weightlifting competition. You know, I never even thought about that. You're so right. Yeah. If you think about it, you got spotters for squat, bent. Yeah. Pretty much all lifts. You're not there alone in this like huge ass platform. So that's, that's very yep. true. I never thought about it like that. Exactly. It's like a little bit more, you know, there's almost like a solo performance in a way, uh, versus powerlifting. Yeah. Obviously when you're deadlifting, maybe it's a little bit different on um, powerlifting, but like, you know, when you're benching, when you're squatting, it's like, a whole stage full of people, um, plus you. So it's a little bit, a little bit different, right? Yeah. Um, and I think there's something that I think can be a little bit more nerve wracking, uh, but definitely, you know, more fun in terms of that. Yeah. So do you think weightlifting was weightlifting your first like solo sport? Cause I know like we have teams and we train for teams, but at the end of the day, it's like, it is a solo sport for me. It was cause I was always on teams and playing, you know, sports and like that. And same for you. Sounds like, was that, your yeah, game? it was. Exactly. It was. So it is very different in terms of that. Right. Like understanding yeah. like what that's going to be like. And you go out for like your first snatch ever or in any competition or if it's like your first national competition and you go out there and if it's your first one, it's like all eyes are on you. Right. Yeah. Every judge, every person in the audience, they're all they're all watching you. Every guy in the back room, they're all watching you. You, know, you, you do your lift. Uh, it's very different. Yeah. I think every weightlifter in their heart is somewhat of like an adrenaline junkie. Because like that rush that you do feel in that first snatch of any competition or like a big competition or just being on the stage, like after the lift, like after you make it, it's just like a crazy feeling, right? It's like a huge yep. rush is like lifted off of you. And I feel like that feeling is addicting, which gets people to still like do Olympic weightlifting, right? 100%. And you're so addicted to that feeling that you forego all the... Like you think about the training that you do, right? You look at your training log and you look back the weeks and the months that you've done and the work that like for most people looks probably so boring and nine times out of 10, like you might go out of your training session, like not feeling great, right? Like not having a great day, mm -hmm. uh, but you go back and you do it and you do it and you do it because it's like for that reason, for that moment, those moments on the platform that just feel great and you're really, you know, doing your best and you know, when it comes down to it, uh, the work that you put in, it, it'll show on the platform. You know, the barbell doesn't lie. 
Dude. Uh, and I think there's something rewarding about that. Yeah, hundred percent, man. It's just it's just crazy because I guess in order to compare to people who don't weightlift, if anyone's listening. It's like if you hit a good drive, if you're golfing out there with your boys or something that you do, and that one nice drive, but then the rest of your game sucks, like you're addicted to that one drive, and that's why you still keep playing. Or like, I don't know any other sports maybe. Like, I think boxing is very comparable, maybe because I've been watching a lot of this uh, boxing anime, but like the training and the mental side, the build up, and then like all that pays off in that one little moment. It's just... This isn't a crazy feeling. It's hard to describe unless you just actually experience it for yourself. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, you do all this training and really it's for these, yeah, these these small moments, like three lifts, right? People ask me like, oh, like what's competition? Like, is it all day? Uh, You know, how many lifts are you doing? Like it's two lifts, you get three attempts and that's it. And you think about how long the lifts last. It's not very long, Um, but all of your training, all of your months, all of your hours that you're putting into it is coming down to that. Yeah, dude, it's crazy. And um, have you watched that show? I'm talking about. Uh, it's called Hajime no Ippo. I know they had like. Ah, uh, no, I haven't. Ah, oh, it's so good. Is it good? I started watching it, check it randomly because I don't know why I was on Netflix and I scrolled and I saw it. But uh, yeah, it's like from like the early 2000s. But I think it like it still went on to like 2013 or something like that. But it's a good one if you just like for motivation. I think it's a good training arc show to watch you know if you're like getting it i love it yeah dude anime has like the best training uh like montages and motivation right like so much of it is about that so many different anime do you watch a lot of anime or no uh you know it's funny i've watched more probably like later in my life than i did growing like growing up i didn't watch much um but yeah i watched more i think later in my life uh one i've kind of watched here and there recently um it's uh is it let's see uh here it's a hero anime um, uh the boku no hero the my hero academia let's see my hero Academia. Yeah, yeah that's that one yeah so i recently started watching that one but yeah and like i watched naruto recently uh but yeah those are like you know a lot of it is like the training right like that's yeah. so important yeah um that's funny yeah because for me i didn't start watching yeah i didn't really start watching like true anime because i grew up watching like toonami see so, like whatever was on toonami like cowboy beat bob got dragon ball z uh, Roroni Kenshin, because my mom was like a huge fan of Roroni Kenshin and Dragon Ball Z. Fun story about that, like I used to watch those in Japanese only before it came out in America, just because my mom would always watch it. So I just have to like try to figure it out, and it was a way for me to try to learn what they're saying, even though sometimes I was completely clueless, but <laughs> I was just trying to learn. <laughs> That's really funny. Uh, I I I do like meet random people who. Oh, aren't Japanese and they're like, oh, do you watch a lot of anime? Or like they'll like tell me that they learn Japanese a lot through and through like watching anime. Um, which sometimes like when I do watch certain like movies or whatever that are in Japanese, um, uh, I've been watching a lot of like Akira Kurosawa movies. Um, and most of them are just subtitled. Uh, but like you pick up on like certain phrases and things, right? You like mm. learn a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, one thing I do I think has been interesting about see watching anime and Japanese, like classic Japanese movies, uh, is you understand certain things about how you were raised or your culture uh that you didn't realize were like maybe so related to Japan, like things, ways of of doing things, um, ways of treating other people, um, ways of viewing life that were maybe instilled in you and you said your mother's Japanese mm-hmm. but yeah things that you didn't realize were instilled in you that really come from this like very this ancient culture that's been around for so long and people have been doing things that way for so long 
That is um, very true. Something, yeah. It's like that discovery that, that kind of happens. Yeah, that's, that's true. I didn't really think about it, but I love all like the life lessons too that happen in like, you know, anime and stuff like that. It's just like, it's just funny that like now like older us, we're just like diving into that world. As far as yep. like your family, you kind of mentioned a lot about like the Japanese American, like because you guys are all from California, even from your grandfather, you said was here in America during that time. Yeah. So my uh, on my dad's side, my grandparents, both of them were born in the U.S. Oh, so on my wow. dad's side. Uh, yeah, on my dad's side, I'm Yonsei, which is fourth generation in the U.S., mm. uh, which means my great grandparents immigrated to the U.S. Wow. Um, yeah, so they were both, you know, U.S. citizens at the time uh, when World War II happened. My grandfather was ser- serving for the U.S. in World War II. His family was in the, you know, concentration camps. My grandmother uh, was in them as well. Oh my god! Uh, a couple of two of her brothers were serving for the U.S., but that was very common, right? A lot of the so it was 120,000 people of Japanese ancestry on like the West Coast that were forced into the camps right and 70,000 of them yeah 120,000 70,000 of them were American citizens and so you know they were born in the U.S. they were as American as as you and I you know and they were sent to the camps forcibly removed Uh, most of the families lost all their their homes their property you know they either tried to like sell them or they would have people hold on to them a lot of people ended up losing them anyways um but yeah it's, it's pretty pretty wild and definitely i think affected uh japanese culture and japanese american culture and what it's kind of become today mm-hmm. uh, in a in a really uh, interesting way there's a lot of papers you know written about it and the effect of it that's super crazy because like how i grew up and i'm not a huge history buff but my my dad is and i'm sure he knew about it but like a lot of the stuff to me is like maybe the rest of the american like american in general like we don't really even study that they don't even talk about that you know what i mean like in school growing up they don't talk yeah, about yeah, yeah like you don't hear about the constant maybe they might like, i think it, it is mentioned in a lot of things but like a lot of people recently so my grandmother uh she was born in 1923 she just turned 100 uh last week and i posted like her a bunch of photos uh, of her and her growing up you know she was born in sacramento born and raised in sacramento uh was when she was after right after she graduated from high school that's kind of when pearl harbor happened shortly after and so she and her family were sent to the camps uh and and so i kind of like was telling that story and people were fascinated like a lot of them didn't realize kind of how recent that had happened and how that like impacted like real people but it, it was literally all people of Japanese ancestry you know, on the west coast you know and then after the war or you know as as it was going on they were able to move uh to parts that were like more to the east but they couldn't go back to California until the war finally ended um so you can imagine the impact that had on on all those families right and uh you know throughout the war while it was happening with the Japanese Americans there were two things that I think kind of kept them going uh shikata ganai uh which is the they kind of roughly translates to it cannot be helped mm. uh kind of the idea behind that is that you know it, it almost it's kind of like it is what it is right yeah, yeah and yeah. so they just kind of had to deal with it with dignity um and the other uh other thing is gaman which is like endure or persevere you know through all that hardship through it all um 
a lot of people were trying to Japanese Americans were trying to prove their loyalty to America and you know that they were as American as anyone and that's why there's like the 100th Army Battalion which is the most decorated battalion for its size uh in U.S history and it was a you know all Japanese American battalion um but a lot of them a lot of those you know soldiers had families who were had been incarcerated, you know, mm. had been forced into these camps, taken from their homes. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty, pretty wild part of history that Man, I think, yeah, definitely is... shouldn't be forgotten. Yeah, no, right? honestly, I, I feel so ignorant because like I was like my on I'll let you like kind of let you know how like on my side is. Obviously I'm mixed, but my dad is from the Chicago area. He was in the mm -hmm. Navy and he was stationed in Yokosuka, Japan, which is like a little south of Yokohama, right? And um that's where he met my mom. So I was born there. And then my dad was getting out the Navy. So I was about like three, about to be four when my dad was getting out the Navy. He wanted to move back to America and bring my mom to America. So like my mom had like a short time here in America before like, you know, things didn't work out and my parents split. So every summer, like the like basically, you know, how I'd see my mom every summer, me and my older brother would go to Japan for a month and hang out there in the Yokohama area for you know, ever since I was like six or seven up until like uh, graduated in high school. Uh, so that was my background with all the Japanese stuff. So the only thing I know is strictly from Japan and all my family is on the mainland Japan. And I don't have any Japanese family here because even my older brother, he moved back. He moved to Japan in 2014. So, uh, yeah. So like my yeah, it's just crazy how like my bringing up is always this strictly only Japan. But yet we have all this Japanese history here in America. And that's you, your side, too. Like, it's just super fascinating. I just didn't really think about all those things, you know? Yeah, it's really interesting meeting uh, other people who are Japanese or when I was in Japan training for Uniqlo. Uh, and I told them that I was Yonsei, they would they'd all be very surprised. Like, oh, wow, you're like your fourth generation. On my mom's side, I'm Gosei, fifth generation, because mm. her family had immigrated to uh, to Hawaii. So an immigration from Japan to Hawaii had happened much earlier. Mm. Uh, but they are always so shocked, right? That yeah. I, like my family and I'm full Japanese, but has been here for so long. Mm -hmm. uh, and there is, yeah, a very unique history that, yeah, going through that. Um, and it's something that I think a lot of people also outside of the U.S. aren't fully aware of, right? Um, yeah, not at all. Kind of gets swept under the rug a little bit, but certainly something that shouldn't be forgotten in terms of, you know, things that can happen, right? And, and things that you don't want to happen to any group of people, uh, especially American citizens, right? It's pretty wild. Yeah, no, I think it's interesting. That's awesome. You have a cool history of that. And I'm sure you're like proud of like representing your family out there, you know? And like, yep, so where, where is your family from in the, like in Japan? I'm sure they're kind of spread uh, out or. Yeah, I really only know on my mom, my dad's side for they're from Fukuoka. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But other on my mom's side, I don't even know. That's actually something uh, her side is one that I haven't uh, gotten into in terms of the family history as much. Mm, but they said um, they kind of. Again, that was like longer ago. So that was like, yeah, her, my great, great grandparents on her side are the ones who had immigrated from Japan to, to Hawaii. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's so crazy yeah. to me. Yeah, that's so crazy. Basically, like, yeah, that, that's just wild to me because there's so much stuff going on. Because even, say, like, if you ask me, like, oh, what is my, like, Irish, because my last name is O'Connor, what is my Irish side? Like, I couldn't really tell you too much because of the generations that passed so long. I just know that, like, long time yep. ago, some dude from Ireland came and over went and settled <laughs> in the Chicago area and was a farmer, and that's how he came out here where I'm from, like, you know? Yeah, yeah.
Oh, that's super. And the family history is really interesting. I had gone through all these photos with my grandmother, uh, and she'd just been talking about all the different people and where they were and where they were from. It was photos, uh, over a thousand photos, and some of them were from, you know, the 1920s. Um, and she had kind of just been remembering who they were, where they are from, what their stories were. Uh, and, you know, like one of them was crazy to think about is her. Uh, one of her brothers died of the flu pandemic of 1918. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Like their COVID, so just, you know, like it's crazy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Man. So like, uh, I guess what I kind of wanted to really roll into in this podcast specifically was all your cooking stuff. And I'm glad we're yeah. talking about all the Japanese culture because we're both Japanese and I just love talking about it. So what got you started cooking like a lot of the Japanese foods in general? Like, did you always do it when like when you're younger or is it something you did when you're older? No, nah, it was uh, really ended up being like a pandemic hobby. Uh, so when COVID hit, uh, you know, I was stuck in my apartment. I uh, luckily had I think behind me, you can see there's like a bar. Yeah. And, uh, squat rack. But like I had equipment, so I was able to train here. Uh, and then obviously, you know, everyone's like making their own food. Uh, and New York was kind of one of the first to be hit pretty hard. So we were pretty shut down yeah. other than grocery stores. Uh, and I was like, you know, like I haven't really cooked a lot of actual Japanese food. Right. So Japanese American food, I think, is very distinct in terms of what it is. And that's what I grew up with more so. OK. Uh, and that's like spam musubi. Right. Or yeah. I mean, even teriyaki chicken like my mom would make it with yoshida sauce mm -hmm. um and there were very distinct and delicious japanese american dishes that are certainly not authentic like what what you eat in japan yeah right and so i just uh i was like oh yeah i'm gonna start, you know try cooking some japanese dishes um the first one i tried which was like definitely a tougher one was okonomiyaki oh, uh, and then that is. i don't know uh, it's like the pancake, like the savory pancake. Mm, yeah, um, yeah, so yeah. there's like the cabbage, there's like the batter, and then you put like strips of pork and there's other other ingredients that are inside of the batter. Um, but yeah, okonomiyaki yeah, yeah. was like the first thing that I had made. And then from there, I just like was like, oh, I'm going to just like keep going. And so and I let's like post it on Instagram and people like love seeing it. And uh, yeah, I just kept kept doing it. I would train and then I would eat Japanese food. And uh, you know what? For me, I think what was neat is that um it was like a, a kind of discovery for me right because you read when you talk about food when you uh eat food when you read about food uh there's so much history to it uh in terms of where the dishes come from where they originate from uh there's a mixing of cultures right there's different influences from different countries in every country in every country's food there's influences from uh countries around it so you get to see that and you also get to understand, you know, the culture itself in terms of the things that they value, um, in terms of understanding how they eat, in terms of what they eat, in terms of the process, processes that they put into, you know, what it is they're eating. Uh, so I think it, there was a lot of discovery in terms of Japanese culture for me uh, through food. Uh, something that, I've, yeah, delving into Japanese culture in general, I think is something I've uh, come to appreciate more as I've gotten older. I certainly wish I would have embraced it more growing up, mm -hmm. uh, but definitely uh, I'm glad I, I found it. I'm glad that like food was kind of like my way uh, into that. You know, I think it, growing up Japanese American, especially for where I grew up. And and if you're Yonsei or, you know, your Sansei, Yonsei, Gosei, uh, there is certainly Japanese American culture is certainly a little bit unique from Japanese culture and obviously, you know, American culture. 
there's kind of a blending, but it's not quite fully one or the other. Mm-hmm. And so it was a really awesome discovery to delve into more of like actual Japanese culture, how they do things uh, in Japan. Uh, and I had been there in 2011, so I kind of seen it. Um, and then going there recently in 2019 and recently this year in 2023, you kind of get uh, a fuller, fuller understanding kind of, of of where your family comes from. Uh, and I think that there's, yeah, just a, a huge self-discovery uh, that you can do through through food. Um, and that's for any culture, right? Uh, Irish culture as well, mm-hmm. too, I'm sure. Dude, absolutely, man. I was just kind of rolling into all these memories going on in my head. So like, you know, I talked about going in Japan every summer and stuff like that. So it was always our main mission to try to learn Japanese because growing up, like we, you know, went to school here. My mom didn't really teach us Japanese, just like little phrases here and there. It wasn't like anything crazy, you know? And like the older we got, the less that we used Japanese and we started to forget. So when we'd go visit, we'd always try to speak Japanese. I remember one of the things that my mom would do was like she would let me stay at my, you know, at Baba's house, only me and separate my older brother. So then I only had to speak Japanese for like a few days. And it used to be crazy just with like a dictionary and we're struggling, but we just make it work. Or she'll give me a mission like, hey, you got to get these groceries and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what? So I'm like trying to read everything and I'm like a kid. I don't know what I'm doing. So I bring back stuff to get some batteries or whatever for her. And it was just a way for us to like, you know, learn the language. And, you know, it'd be very motivating at the time. And we learned so much within a month because we'd stay like three weeks to a month there. And then once we get back to America, boom, we lose it because we're not practicing it. You know, we're not, you know, we're not using it. So I guess the older, like you said, like the, the older I got, I was like, man, I really should like try to embrace a little bit more like my Japanese culture and stuff like that, because this is something you just don't want to lose. And that is a part of your life, you know? Um, but yeah, like you, you're absolutely, yeah, it's just crazy. Cause some of the stuff that you're saying is like stuff that I definitely agree growing up and the cooking too. Like my mom would always send me, you know, uh, gift, you know, in the mail, give me like food or whatever. And it's all in Japanese. And I'm not gonna lie. I was like too lazy to try and attempt to cook it. And like you were kind of like the ones that kind of inspired me to cook because I'd always see you cook and I followed you probably around like the 2019, 2020 era, like right before COVID. And I was like, man, he's cooking all this good stuff. And I was like, well, man, shit, maybe I could do it too. And then I'd FaceTime my mom and she walked me through how to make curry and stuff like that. And that's kind of how I started uh, cooking in general as well. Dude, I, I love hearing that. Uh, it makes me really happy. Uh, you know, because for me, it was part of it was like uh, just going out and trying it. Right. And I didn't necessarily know how to do it. But with obviously the Internet, there's a lot of resources out there. So I was like, oh, I'm going to just like, you know, go for it and do it and, and learn a little bit more about it. Um, my parents actually a lot of it. They're like, whoa, it's like, where'd you learn how to do all that? I'm like, well, I just tried it. I think, you know, is really what it came down to. Uh, and they're always impressed by it and, and enjoy watching it. Um, but for me, what really makes me happy is seeing people like you um, who are Japanese or part Japanese uh, kind of realizing, oh, like I can do it too, right? It's like, <laughs> I, I just have to try it, right? Like trying it is half the battle and and you there's, I think, a joy to it, right? So obviously we have to eat food every day to sustain ourselves. But more than that, uh, I think there is another aspect to food and enjoyment that can be had. Uh, and as you've experienced and uh, the other part of it, too, is people who are not Japanese seeing me cook these dishes. Um, 
you know, knowing it's not something I've always done, I think for them, it's like, oh yeah, like they can try it too. Right. And, mm -hmm. uh, kind of teaching and under, and then explaining kind of what, what these foods are, um, that they're not just, you know, strange foods that they're not so exotic that they, it's like a whole country, you know, cooks this way. Right. And so, uh, in terms of America and what it is, it's like such an amalgamation of different cultures. And so, for me, I love being able to bring that to people and show them like, oh, here's like the yeah, culture of the country that like my you know ancestors, my forefathers came came from originally. And here's, you know, bringing it to you guys so that you guys can see what it is, uh, you know, here. Um, yeah, that really, I think, is one of the things that's unique about about the U.S., right? There obviously are just so many different types of food that you can eat. Um, and so for me, being able to like show that in a different way. Uh, other than sushi and ramen yeah you know, i was just about to say know, that. Uh, yeah exactly yeah people know japanese food they know they know it uh as mostly sushi and ramen um but there's so much more to that like what people are eating on the daily what people you know what 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 do most restaurants actually have you know and that i think is something that i've been trying to like show people and i think it's been yeah it's been really fun like seeing people's reactions to that and enjoying that and now i think the restaurants uh, in terms of Japanese food, are like there's more izakaya type spots, right? Are, that aren't yeah. just focused on sushi and ramen. Uh, yeah, I feel like it's slowly somehow it's getting like super popular too. Like, when did ramen get so popular? Like, I know sushi. I remember back in the '90s, like I'm not eating raw fish. I mean, it was like super, people were like so against it. I mean, that was like the more common like ones, but like yeah, ramen's like super mainstream and like anime is even too and a lot of things. But like you said, there's a lot more izakayas coming up and um, I wish they had a lot more yakiniku places because me personally, like that's one of my favorites. <laughs> but yeah, dude, yeah, they would make a ton of money. I know there's like hot pots and then there's like Korean barbecue places, which is honestly exactly the same thing. But like our styles, yakiniku is a Japanese style version of uh, Korean barbecue. But uh, yeah, it's just... It's just interesting that like following you and watching your stories, like your dishes is like like stuff that like people don't see. And it's like, oh, man, like I need to try that. Or like, oh, my mom made that for me a long time ago. I haven't had that in a while. And well, and probably people who don't know anything about Japanese food are probably just like shocked. Like, damn, what is this dude making? Is he a chef? Who is who's he prepping for? You know, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, you know, it's all, sometimes it's a lot of work. But again, it's like that uh, going through the process of of discovering, understanding kind of what that is. Um, and then, you know, I, there's a lot that I've integrated just into like how I eat every day where I end up eating a lot more uh, Japanese food, which has certainly been healthy for me for the most part. You know, like there's a lot of the pickled veggies and eating natto, which is like fermented soybean. I love natto. Um, dude, I know, and it's it was an acquired taste. Like I had to be like, oh, I don't know, and then I kept trying and trying it, and uh, <laughs> you know, I love it. It's like become a staple, basically. Like I always have it, you know, in my fridge. Um, when did you but, first have natto? Just curious. I actually, that was probably shoot. When was that? It might have been only like two and a half years ago. Well, so not that. Yeah, I know exactly. It's <laughs> crazy. I was like raised on that. They called me the little Oyaji kid. I was a little baby. Eat like you know, <laughs> not the, all the time. They're like, like my mom's like, I don't even like that as much as you do, Corey. I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh! I, and yeah, now I always have it. They have like uh they have organic natto, like that. They Ooh. always stock at a couple of the Japanese uh markets. There's now in my neighborhood. There was only one Japanese uh, shop and now like supermarket. Now there's one, two, three, 
now there's like three or now there's four of them that are like pretty close by like within 10 15 minute walking distance um so yeah people i think are starting to like catch on to you know japanese food and, and try it out more realize that there's certainly is a lot of like health benefit to a lot of the types of foods that they eat you know i think that's part of the eating culture you know yeah, absolutely. Like, there's definitely stuff available. You just kind of have to dig for it. Because I know I struggled because I was like, man, the only Japanese market, like, where I lived in Illinois, which is, like, in the south suburbs of Chicago, there's, like, one main Japanese market. And that was it. I'm like, man, I just can't find anything. And even here in Indianapolis, there's, like, a tiny Japanese market, but there's also an Asian market. So I can kind of just, like, get bits and pieces of certain things. Yeah. But it is kind of difficult. But if there's a will, there's a way. Like, I try to still uh, make it happen, you know? I certainly am lucky being in, I, you know, if you're in SoCal, obviously super easy, even NorCal, NorCal, Northern California, very easy. And New York now is much easier in terms of Japanese groceries. But yeah, I feel like that's something that maybe is is coming. It's like the next wave after now, now there's so many sushi and ramen spots, mm-hmm. maybe Japanese markets, I think will start popping up a little bit more. Well, do um, you know, uh, this is one one, they have a chain throughout the U.S. And there's, like, one that happened to be in, like, Waikiki. It's, like, Mitsuya. Uh, they have one. Oh, yeah. So they have one in Schaumburg, Illinois, which is, like, the suburb of Chicago. And it's, like, a, a pretty distant, like, Japanese, uh like, area. But as far as, like, Illinois as a whole or, like, Chicago even, there's still not that many Japanese people. So whenever I do see Japanese people or talk to them, like, I always, like, gravitate. Oh, you're Japanese. Oh, this. Like, it's just, like, <laughs> random. Like, and... I'd always complain about if I go to a Japanese restaurant, there's like, there's no actual Japanese people working there. And like, not saying it has to be, but like, you want some real thing if you want to go to like an actual Japanese restaurant. And a lot of my friends like, how do you know? I was like, I can just tell by either looking at them or hearing their language. It's like, it's not Japanese. It's something else. I don't know what it is, but it's not Japanese. (laughs) My girlfriend says the same thing sometimes. I'll be like, oh, like, I don't think it's Japanese owned spot, you know? Uh, She knows now. Certain ways. (laughs) I know uh that's cool I'm like you know if, I, if the food's good then like it's okay but sometimes like yeah you can tell a difference in terms of in terms of the food yeah uh, certain dishes that they have or don't have so. for sure no i get that but I, um these ramen shops um uh, i actually just happened to like talk to the random person that was working like the the waitress the server that was working and obviously she was something else i think she was like uh, I don't, I don't even want to guess, but she's, she wasn't Japanese. She's like, she's like Vietnamese maybe or something like that. And I was kind of asking her questions like, Oh, like how you guys, you know, make the food, how you guys make the ramen. Do you guys like make the noodles or they're pre prepped? And then usually they're always like pre like prepped and stuff. They're already like cooked. You just whatever. But she said that like a dude from Japan, who's like a mat, they have to, it's like a certain, like, um, you know how like sushi boss, how you call them? I don't even know what I'm talking about, but the like like a sushi master, but it's like a ramen master and it's like a level of degree. It's basically like a, this dude has like a PhD in like making ramen, right? He he flew down there and like taught them like personally how to make their ramen and the broth and all that stuff. So like when I, when I was there and I ate it, cause I was like, man, I'm actually really impressed with this ramen. What do you guys do? Like, I was kind of complaining about the noodles. Like, yeah, you guys make, you guys aren't like fresh noodles, are they? Like, he's like, no, they're not. <laughs> but like the way that they make the broth and every, even the meat and all that stuff was all from the guy from Japan that taught them. And I thought that was super interesting. So I'm like, okay, like they are like leveling up, I guess, you know? <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, there's a lot more Japanese food now that's being, yeah, that people are learning to make things from scratch. I mean, one of the things that I make from scratch, two of the things, I guess, one is uh, bread, Japanese style milk bread, uh, shokupan, which you can mm. pretty much, you don't need any, I'm trying to think, I don't think you need any specific 
Japanese ingredients. Um, and you can find it all at probably like a regular supermarket. Um, but that's really awesome, like making from scratch bread and udon noodles, which is literally flour, water, and salt is all you need. Really? Um, and you can make them from scratch. And it's so, you know, super easy. It just takes like, you know, it takes some time, but it, it's very, very doable. Um, but it's kind of fun trying to make things from scratch as well. Like I've made tofu from scratch, but doing all those things from scratch, you get to see like what the process was, right? Because so much of what we eat today, um, any type of food, not just Japanese yeah. food is made for us, right? It's prepped, but like how many of us actually have understand the process that goes into making it um, as people used to do. Uh, and there's something, I think there's a lot of value and, and a lot that you learn going through that process and understanding, you know, what it is and what the ingredients are kind of at their core and how they become kind of the food that you eat. Uh, so it's kind of a fun, fun thing that I've kind of been doing. Uh, you should wa watch this movie, uh, Tampopo. I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah, let me type it down. How do you spell it? Yeah, T-A-M-P-O-P-O. -P -P -O. Okay. Uh, it's pro one of my favorite movies, if not the my favorite movie uh, of all time. Uh, it's Ken Watanabe when he was really young, but it's basically like a sort of like a Western kind of movie. It's like a Western, but it's more about like it's like about a ramen shop. These two guys basically come riding up uh, in like a an eighteen wheeler big truck that they're driving, you know, in Japan, and uh, they come across this like struggling ramen shop. This woman who runs the ramen shop, uh, so she's like a single mother, and they basically help her make the ramen shop uh, into like the best ramen Aww. shop in the area so it's like it's it's really it's funny there's all these random storylines that that go on but i don't want to spoil it for you because there's uh it's 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 a lot of fun but Dude, i definitely awesome. recommend you'll enjoy it is it on amazon yeah. prime netflix what is, do you know uh, i think you might be able to get it on amazon let me see oh it's actually on hbo max now okay and then you might be able to find it on amazon you can probably rent it on amazon amazon all right, I'm literally typing yeah. it out right now because I have like a little note section. Nah. Like, okay, cool. Yeah. That sounds awesome. You're gonna be craving ramen after afterward too. Dude, I, yeah, I'm trying to convince film. my mom to move out, like, come back here to the states, and uh, just start a restaurant because that's kind of something I was thinking about doing, like outside once I retire from the military. Because now I just started enjoying like cooking and stuff, and I feel like I don't know, like just kind of like one of those things. And just, Dude, you should do it, especially in the area that you're at. I'm sure that there's not a lot of options out there. Yeah, it'll be badass. It's kind of, I have so many more questions I want to get into for you though. Like, um, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Keep going. So basically on the subject of food, cause I could talk about food forever as well. You said that you like, now that you've incorporated a lot more Japanese food into like your daily, like, you know, you know, life now, how do you prep now? Like for food, like, do you prep it in like weeks? Do you do like a day apart? Like what do you do for meal more prep? Uh, you know, I don't do any strict like meal prep uh, where it's like a, a thing for the whole week or anything. I really do day by day. Okay. Um, kind of based on like whatever ingredients I have. Uh, usually I end up making meals that end up lasting, you know, more than a day. And so I'll just eat that way. But I don't have any particular plan. And when I'm not as close to competition, so if I'm not close to nationals, um, then I'm kind of eating whatever I, you know, whatever I feel like. Uh, and basically based on how much I'm training. So if it's a training day, definitely in terms of my meals, I'm eating a lot more um, beforehand and afterward. And then on my off days, if I'm not training, I'll usually just pull it back a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of am more, I go you know, more intuitively in terms of my eating. Uh, one thing that I think has helped me out a lot uh, in the last 
before the last national, so it's probably the last year, maybe year and a half, I've kind of upped my protein intake. Um, I think one thing I did do for a bit is I was focusing a little bit too much on just on just carbs and not not as much on protein. Mm. And so now every night before I go to sleep, I'm having a like 20 to 30 gram uh, protein shake. And then I'll have one like right when I wake up as well. So just adding a little bit more in with the supplementation, um, which is I, I feel like I've definitely seen an improvement in my recovery, um, despite, you know, getting older. So uh, that's something that's yeah, I've been like a concrete thing I've done that I think has helped. But, you know, throughout your time as a weightlifter, I'm sure you've seen it. How you eat and what you eat has changed and you make adjustments and you try to learn and you try to like get better and try to hone it in uh, as you go. Certainly how I ate and what I ate, uh, you know, when I first started versus now is very different. Oh, yeah. Um, you kind of figured out, right? Yeah. I mean, I was still in, I was in college still like in grad school when I first started weightlifting. And, you know, I was still eating like shit. And then like I was still drinking a lot, which I mean, still with the Air Force is kind of like the culture. So like if you're hanging out with coworkers, you're going to drink and stuff, which is fine. I think it's all in moderations because like now, like if I just do it, it'd be like, OK, Saturday night, maybe a few drinks, nothing crazy. Because otherwise it does, yeah. it kind of just messes your schedule. And I think in weightlifting in general, like the further you get into it, most people don't drink as much because you can't train when you're like hungover i don't know it does i yeah yeah you definitely and as you get older too for sure like you feel that you feel that more you feel the effects more for sure um i think that's something that like when i'm usually about a month a little bit more over a month out uh, actually what i did this last time is from two months out i just did a one drink limit so it allowed me to like all right so like if a friend has a birthday thing or they you know they have an event or something you can kind of partake right you can enjoy yeah. you can you know, hang out with them uh and not feel like you're so restricted right so i think the one drink was like a nice compromise so not just being like all right no drinking at all yeah and uh, you're you know, not gonna hate yourself for it and then also it's like it's not gonna be detrimental if you just have one drink it's not gonna kill your gains or anything like that exactly exactly so i think like that kind of took like a weird mental strain off it you know because it comp competing can be very stressful when you're kind of trying to drop into your weight class and you're training pretty hard plus you have regular life your job and whatnot um and so finding what works for you i think is super important and uh every year i think as nationals comes around like i always you know, think about you know what i've done before and kind of what kind of has what worked what didn't work how can we adjust um, in terms of where we're at now and it I think is helped out for sure yeah 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 and I feel like in general you just live a healthy lifestyle like you, I've seen you do like you know going outdoors and just being active like you just seem like a very active healthy person um far as your diet do you like track everything super specific like down to your macros all this other stuff or you kind of shake your head no okay so then like um yeah how do you track your food do you just like you just make sure you get enough protein in carbs. Like, yeah, what's your, what do you do to track? That's one thing, you know, I certainly try to, uh, like I'll try to track my protein, make sure I'm having enough protein, uh, in terms of my carbs and whatnot. I don't track my macros. And I think that that's something, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe it's something that could help, uh, to some extent, but like, I think that there is a level of, uh, life enjoyment for me where it's like, I can't, I can't, I, I just, uh, that to me would put a lot more strain i think on my everyday life that would be would be pretty tough mm -hmm. and so i don't track my macros or anything like that i eat pretty intuitively but i've never had a problem 
making weight. Um, and I think that I've kind of found a system that works where I understand what I need to eat, when I need to eat. That's worked pretty well, where I can train pretty hard, uh, feel fine. Uh, I can get down into the weight class that I need to. Um, yeah, and it's just something that I've kind of like honed in on my own uh, without having to do anything specific. What I did realize is I do, uh, I think, RP strength. What? Uh, yeah. Someone sent me like an RP strength like template one time when I, when I looked at it and I realized like kind of how I eat, when I eat, what I eat, how much I eat is somewhat similar to that in terms of it really is based on like when I'm training, uh, how much, how hard I'm training uh, in terms of like what I eat. And that was something I was doing intuitively. So, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty impressive. Do you, do you always like, you're pretty like jacked and pretty lean dude. Like, do you like, I guess like, have you always been that way or just over time you just kind of evolved and that's just how your body would end up. Cause like, (laughs) I think that (laughs) that's kind of funny. Uh, I do think when I was like in junior high or something, right. You know, I think like when you're in junior high, you start to maybe like do push-ups or like, you know, you may start to like work out or something. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like my abs coming in a little bit and that was probably in junior high. And I feel like I've kind of had abs ever since then. Um, so yeah, I think it's just something that like I've always sort of had and maintained. Luckily, I think that my body type, if I wasn't really working out much, I'd probably be on the like skinnier side a little bit more. Yeah, some people have like a natural body type where they weren't working out or something like that. You'd call it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I would tend to be on the like, like just like smaller, skinnier side versus being on like the bulkier side, right? Like, yeah, like that's just kind of what my body type is. So, yeah, like I'll do certainly do accessory accessory work at the end of every workout, um, but I'm not doing crazy bodybuilding pumps. Yeah, um, I was gonna ask that because you're jacked. I'm like, like, you must do a lot of bodybuilding, man. I, you know, and there's always accessory work that I'll do and I try not to like skip out on that. And then on my like uh, prehab rehab days that I, that I'll add in, uh, you know, I'll add some sort of bodybuilding or, you know, accessory work, but I'm not going, yeah, I try not to go overboard. Right. Cause ultimately you want to be stay mobile, stay flexible uh, and be smart about the energy that you're using and the, the wear and tear that you're putting on your body, especially as you become a master's lifter, like I am. Uh, you definitely have to be smart about what, where you're putting your energy uh, in terms of in terms of your training. So I, you know, I, I push myself hard. Like, of course, for me, like looking good is is certainly a nice perk of that as well. And uh, it takes more than just cleaning, jerking, and snatching. Yeah, you know, to kind of like maintain a physique. Uh, but yeah, it usually ends up being you know twenty to thirty minutes of like accessory work at the end. Do you have any like favorite accessory stuff that you like to do? Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, hmm. Lately, it's been uh, weighted pull-ups. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of weighted pull-ups. Uh, and so, you know, working, adding 25 kilos, I'll do like 8 to 10 reps. I started doing 50 kilos where I'm just doing like a double. What? But yeah, <laughs> fairly heavy. Uh, been adding a lot of that lately, and it's been feeling good. Dude, that's impressive, yeah. man. And so, like, you said masters. Like, I knew you were older than me. I'm 31. I'm approaching, like, masters, you know, in the next few years. But I didn't know how old you were. So, you got to be at least 35. 35, yeah. I'll be 36, actually, uh, end of this month. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. Yeah. Cool, man. That's, so that's so impressive. Actually, I was officially a masters as of, I think, last year, January, right? Because they count they your age at the end of the year, they right? Do. So, it's like, 
last year january i was a masters officially um but you know i've been in the sport now i think it's been 11 11 years or so mm -hmm. uh yeah I, I i really wish i would have found it you know earlier in life um but i'm glad i found it when i did and where i did in terms of you know being with my coach and whatnot yeah yeah exactly uh, awesome like, i feel like it always has passed and like i and envious on like the the life balance that you have between weightlifting and just like whatever you do because like it seems that you've got it pretty dialed in like you don't necessarily take yourself too serious to where like you're gonna like be miserable like I never really see you complain you may have like injuries here and there and you had to like you know work through which everyone has you know have to but I also seen you like just doing life stuff like cooking and traveling or spending time with your girlfriend and just spending time with family too and like I was just like, man, well, like he's really good as like a national weightlifter and also just still gets to live life too. Like that's goals. Like I was like, that's where I want to kind of want to be at. Cause sometimes, you know, we get caught up in weightlifting so much where it consumes your entire life and you kind of like, I don't know, like you kind of just get a little like irritable with this random stuff because you're so focused on weightlifting. Right. No, I totally feel you on that. Uh, and I think I'm lucky well, I mean, for now, in my in terms of where I'm at in my life, like I think having kids, that'll be like the next point where it's like, okay, I don't know if weightlifting can stick around or not in the same way, right? Yeah. Um, so without a family, I think it'll like, you know, kids, I think that's a little bit different. Um, but yeah, for right now, it's like I make the time. It's like something that I do because I truly uh enjoy it. And to me, it's become something that is uh you know, almost like it gives me a break from everything else, right? So uh, my work schedule can be pretty intense. Uh, once we start working again, it'll be, you know, 10, 12 plus hour days, uh, Monday to Friday. And so even if I'm exhausted, or even if I know I like I, I'll have a long day ahead of me, um, whether I go early or whether I go late, uh, getting in that training and being there for that two hours, uh, where I'm focused solely on that, uh, it really gives me like a mental break to kind of, you know, prepare and be ready for everything else that's going to come uh, through my day. You know, you realize like when you are weightlifting, uh, it's easy to be distracted. But at the same time, like when you're doing it right, when you're training properly, you are focused so much on the training that you don't have a lot of capacity for other things. Right. And so if you're able to do that, it really does allow you to do that, to like focus on something else that's not work um, and, and to kind of like give you like a break. And so, you know, as yeah, I will say, like, yeah, weightlifting training sometimes is stressful. Um, sometimes it is frustrating, um, but there is something about having that outlet that regardless of whether it ends up being stressful or, or difficult on certain days, uh, pushing through, it feels great. Uh, and again, it's like a break from, you know, other parts of your life. Uh, I think, a, you're, you know, yeah. you're doing it right. I think a lot of people need to hear that because I think, like I said, like everyone, a lot of, if you're not like a team USA athlete or you're not like an Olympian or something that's like, that's your full-time job, like a Maddie Rogers or a Wes Kitts or something like that. Like we got to realize like it is a break from your everyday life and you got to have to separate the two. I feel like it's, if you just try to like only focus on weightlifting then maybe you're getting worse at your job because you're so focused on weightlifting, right? Or vice versa. Or maybe like you're just so stressed from work and you're bringing that into weightlifting I think you talk about just, hey, this is a break from this and I'm going to enjoy it and I'm going to be in the moment at this time and I'm going to cherish it because this is what I love. And I love that about you. That's really cool to hear because sometimes, 
Like, I think for me too, maybe I needed to hear that because just from training and just stuff like that. But I mean, right now I'm enjoying it, but there's days where it's like, that's literally all I think about. And I can't sleep at night because I'm thinking about my training session. <laughs> <laughs> sure. No, I think that like as a, as an athlete, as a competitor, as someone who does this sport in a, in a somewhat serious sense where you're competing at the national level, right? You have that level of push and drive. And there is certainly, yeah. And that, that's not to say that like weightlifting, I only think about within those two hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you definitely, yeah, you have to have balance and you have to be grateful that you can do it too and enjoy that. And you should be doing it because you enjoy it. Uh, you should be doing it uh, with, I think, a sort of gratefulness that you can do it, right? Like it's a privilege. First off, like to be able to go to the gym, a gym, or to be able to exercise is a privilege, right? Like think about that means that like you obviously can feed yourself enough that you have energy that you can expend to use at the gym or to exercise some people in some countries or, you know, some people in, even in the U S right. They don't have like the ability to, you know, for example, give themselves enough food to go and exercise. Right. Meanwhile, we are spending money on this sport, you know, supplements and how we eat and, and paying for gyms and equipment and whatnot. Um, so, you know, you have to like take that into perspective, right. And, and be grateful for that and enjoy that, you know, and you, you push yourself, you do your best, there's going to be ups and downs and it's, you know, normal to be upset at certain times or disappointed. Um, but all in all, you know, it should be something that like, there should be net enjoyment out of, right. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, like kind of, why are you, why are you doing it? You know? Yeah. I think the perfect yeah. example was COVID too. You know, remember how excited we were just to go outside and even lift or like even go to a gym and we had to wear masks but we didn't care because we just were that like anxious to like want to lift in a gym with people so yeah that's another exactly. another realization that like some of the things that we uh, almost take for granted is definitely just like the gym in general yep exactly exactly so yeah i mean i love the i love the uh the mindset that you have with with weightlifting and is that something that like does this happen over time or just you always kind of been like that um, hmm. I think it's something that has always kind of been there in some way or another. I think, you know, through COVID, that was certainly a time when I kind of thought about it a lot more and like a lot, a lot more deeply, right, in terms of what I'm putting into it, what I get out of it. Um, and just being grateful, like I somehow like my coach, like as soon as that week when COVID hit in New York, and things started shutting down, which was I think like, like mid March, uh, my coach was like, hey, like, I'm going to bring over a bar and bring over some weights, some mats and like a squat rack. And the squat rack I had was I think it must be I, I've seen them on eBay. Um, they're like lamppost squat stands. <laughs> so it has this like a tiny little thing that holds the bar that uh, it's not even like a I don't even know how to explain it. But it's basically like if you were to put like, you know, your fingers, your thumb and your finger in like a checkpoint, it was it's it's smaller than that. Oh, wow. but it just. And it just goes into like these posts and the it's very unstable. Uh, it, it's not really like held together well. And it was just like bolts that go in to adjust like the height. Um, but it worked. It was like what I needed. I have had weights enough to like squat to like do pulls. And eventually like I got like bold enough to like do lifts. And I was doing it in my living room. And I was just grateful to have that because most people I didn't have any weight, right? Didn't have any weights, didn't even have kettlebell. It was like yeah. hard to find kettlebells. Yeah. So I was grateful for that. And that gave me a lot of perspective in terms of just being grateful, right? And during that time, the main focus, especially like in New York City, was like, all right, just take care of yourself and like kind of stay alive. 
Mm -hmm. Um, And I was lucky enough that I could do that. And I could also kind of enjoy myself with this other hobby as well. Um, yeah like did it yeah. you think snatching in your living room made you better like do you live on the first floor or like a different level or like luckily i live on the first floor <laughs> i still never i felt bad, like i had mat like rubber mats that were you know you could could brace the impact or could uh absorb the impact a little bit yeah but i definitely never wanted to drop but i certainly had to like focus a little a little bit more i think i had to like find more internal drive right when you're doing it in your living room versus being in a gym or in like an, a, a dedicated like weightlifting space. Um, but yeah, I think part of me was just very grateful to have the opportunity to continue to like stay relatively strong and do it and enjoy it. Absolutely, um, man. I feel like the yeah. if you were able to lift during like the shutdown, like you almost had like an extra edge upon your competitors who didn't have a chance to lift. But that's just totally I, I found that like, yeah, I didn't really like lose too much strength. Right. It's a lot of people weren't lifting for like half a year. Yeah. Right. So I, I kind of was able to do that, which is fun. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And um, I guess speaking of which, just kind of out of cu- pure curiosity, I know I mentioned some of the little like camping trips that you've done. Like what are there, some of the hobbies that you do that's outside of weightlifting? Uh, yeah, a lot of uh, one of them is certainly like outdoor stuff, um, hiking or camping. In New York, especially, I think it's important to like get out of the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so uh, hustle and bustle here. Um, I love it. The energy is awesome, uh, but it's easy to get out. You just get an hour, an hour and a half north of the city, and you can find some great hikes, get some outdoor time, get some time where it's quiet, where you can kind of like be in your own head and you know just think about about life, think about yourself. Uh, and enjoy nature, right? Enjoy what, like it, there's something about connecting uh, to nature that I think is really, really healthy. There's a Japanese thing that is, uh, uh, I think, sort of becoming more common that like for like people to do, but they call it forest bathing, uh, which is just going out into nature. I, at first, when I thought about it, I was like, oh, when I heard I the like, word forest bathing, I was like, onsen. I thought it was like a buzzword. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, not quite onsen. I was like, is it like onsen? I was like, or is it just some buzzword? But the idea is that you're going out into nature. Um, you're truly trying to connect it, connect to it, uh, enjoy it. You're trying to like turn off your mind from a lot of other things. And you're thinking about the trees around you. You're thinking about the dirt that you're walking on. You're thinking about all the sounds and the smells uh, that are around you. Um, but it's uh, what you know. What they find is that it really does help to uh, reduce your stress levels. You know. And it's something that I find you know really, really valuable is being able to like take that time and be able to do that. Yeah, dude, that sounds freaking awesome. I don't really think about yeah. it. It's kind of like not like this is more nat- being connected with the earth and stuff. That's pretty interesting. I know like I miss yeah. I miss like all the cool trips I used to do as a kid. Uh, I saw you going to Japan, like going to Kyoto and we went on like a temple tour. Like I have somewhere like all the signatures, like with the temple where they, the monks will sign it and stuff. I have like over 20 of them that I've went to over the past. Like, I don't know, like it was like the course of like, I'd say like four years that we'd go like every year we go out and see more temples. And with my stepdad at the time was like really big into it. And it was an amazing experience for sure. Dude, that's awesome. I feel like uh, next time I go to Japan, like that's one of the things I want to do is go out and hike, like uh, enjoy nature. Like I feel like when you hiking and enjoying nature in another country is also a completely different experience too. It's like hiking in New York and hiking in California are so different. And you imagine hiking in Japan would be, you know, even more different, like that experience, the type of, you know, scenery that you see, the, the flora and the fauna. 
uh, enjoying that. But yeah, that's definitely something I want to do next time I'm in Japan. So I'll hate you for some recommendations. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then yeah. I can always ask my family too if they know any more than I do. Um, so um, I guess like uh, trying to think of like uh, in specifically in Japan. Like, have you ever trained in Japan? Uh, I did. Um, where have I trained before? I trained at. Uh, is it the CrossFit Jump Ships Yoyogi? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's like the main one, right? Where Toshiki sometimes trains at. Yeah. Yep. He has yeah, another, so he has another gym there. too. Oh, where's is that one in Tokyo also? That one just opened up and it's in actually the Yokohama area. Oh, it's in Yokohama. Okay. It's like right underneath nice. the train station. It's kind of dope. It's like, I don't know if you ever watch a lot of YouTube stuff, but I guess uh, ZT, like Zach Tellander, uh, that, uh, what's that Irish dude's name? I'm drawing a blank right now. Um... Uh, Clarence Kennedy. Clarence Kennedy. Clarence Kennedy, yeah. So them two, and then, like, these dudes uh, from Sika, Sika Strength, they're, like, the Irish dudes, they all went down to, like, Japan and trained, and there's, like, a new gym that they showed, and, like, there's, like, a Japanese coach there, and it's strictly just weightlifting, and, and it's pretty cool. I don't know. Dude, that's awesome. You know, I did find it was uh, tough to find a gym in Japan where they, like, allowed weightlifting, especially, like, drop-in, yeah. drop-ins for weightlifting. So that was one of them, right? It was CrossFit, Jump Ships, Yoyogi. Uh, there was another, uh, my buddy, George Murray, who lives out in Japan, he's Hapa. I think he, he lived in the States for a little bit. Um, but he lives out there now with his family. Uh, he was working across the gym. So I'd like trained over there and that was in, I don't remember what part of Tokyo it was in, but it was in Tokyo proper. It's like across the gym. Um, that was able to drop in there. Um, and I'm trying to think if I went out anywhere, I didn't train anywhere in Kyoto, um so really just in the tokyo area but that, that's one of my favorite things i think about weightlifting too is that when i travel i'll always get in training yeah. um, whether it's to a different state uh or a different country uh and being able to just go there and, and talk shop uh you know i was in spain a few years ago uh, and there's a in barcelona there was a, a gym alterophilia barcelona and uh, yeah i still keep in touch with the coach there uh, and his program has really grown a lot. And like I've recommended it to a couple of friends. One of my buddies was there this year and he went to go to go uh, coach with uh, Coach uh, Ronaldo. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, just all that, that the community that is like worldwide is pretty neat. And, you know, dropping to different gyms and talking shop is, is you know, always just such a blast. Dude, I know. I love it. Yeah. When I was in Poland, I was lucky to find like a 24 access gym. It was like half of it was like machines. Other, it was like a CrossFit area, but it also had like weightlifting stuff too, like built-in platforms, Alico bars, Alico plates and all that stuff. And they knew enough English to help me like get set up and sign in. So it's like, a, you know, I can just go in whenever I want. And whenever yeah, they, I love it. yeah, whenever they see you to do like this little handshake and it was so funny just their, their gym culture was definitely a lot different than what I was used to, but everyone was super nice and like very respectful. Yeah, that is one thing you get to see is like the gym culture in general in different countries, kind of what that's like. Uh, yeah, very different in Japan, too, I think, because of the way that they view gym culture, right? There's a lot less of like the like in America, there's so much more of a culture of like trying to stay fit or healthy going to the gym. There's gyms everywhere. I mean, I, it's got to be such a high percentage of Americans that have gym memberships versus like 
in Japan, that's not really like a thing, right? Going to the gym. No, it's weird. My mom's like, ah, oh, we don't want it. Like, we don't want our guys to be too muscular, too buff. Like, they still like looking like slim, you know, like J-pop cape. <laughs> you know, like, I don't even know. Like, just, it's like, no, you don't need to work out. As long as you're healthy, it's fine. I don't know why I'm talking to my mom. Like, it shouldn't sound like that, but that's just the way I'm <laughs> I actually showed her you too, because I was like, oh, look, like uh, this guy, he cooks all this good food and stuff like that. So yeah, she knows who you are too. And she says That's she funny. likes the like the fact that like she knows that you're not from like you know, like in Japan but like, Japanese American. It's cool to see that side of too, you know? She's like Yep, absolutely. Yeah. It's very interesting. So like do you have any plans of like do you like wanna open up a restaurant or something with cooking in the future? I don't think I wanna open up a restaurant or anything. Man, that like seems way too stressful uh you know and the job that i mean like working in the entertainment industry like that is you know takes up all my time as it is so i don't think like opening up a restaurant is really in the in the cards unless it ends up being like way 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 down the line yeah um but yeah I, you know i i've been working on something like you know getting some videos on youtube so dude that's yeah. kind of like a, a side project um something that because i figure like i I like I, I enjoy cooking. It's something that I do anyways, right? You make food, you gotta you gotta eat, uh, and so you know why not put it out there? Especially people seem to enjoy the recipes and seeing them. So it's really yeah something that's kind of like a, a fun thing that I think could be uh, become more than that. So we'll see. Dude, you would kill it. Yeah, you TBD. Would, dude, you would kill it in the YouTube. Yeah, honestly, I don't know why I even think uh, think about that. Have you started a channel yet? Uh, I have a channel that's like kind of ready to go. I just haven't posted any content on there yet. So, oh, dude. Uh, yeah, got to build all that and, and get it out there. So, yeah, when you do, let me know because I'll help promote it too or wherever I can. I love it. That'll be awesome. That'll be super. <laughs> like, I'm excited for it. I'm like, hell yeah, dude. Yeah, that way people can like actually see the recipes I have. Um, you know, because a, a lot of the recipes I get are from different websites. And so the ones that I'm trying to put on, uh, you know, for like a YouTube channel are going to be ones that I kind of uh hone in and figure out like what kind of works what i like to do okay. um, that may not be the, exactly the same as like other recipes out there so um yeah it's been it's uh been kind of a fun little side project going on nice man yeah I'm, well i'm excited to hear it and as far as other future plans too how about weightlifting you have any goals in mind any meets coming up or what's next uh, nationals will be the next big one um there's a couple local ones i might do i think one thing over the like starting from last year i was like you know i want to do more like local meets right um just i think it's a good way to like stay focused where you're like kind of have a goal right when you have a local meet that you're doing you kind of figure out a, a better uh kind of training cycle and so for me i think doing more local meets is kind of what i'm going to do so i might do one uh, I think it's about a month from now, uh, mid-November, uh, and then there's one in January, end of January, that I'll definitely do, the NYC Open, uh, which is at Murdo Crows CrossFit. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, uh, so there's definitely some that I you know plan to do. But in terms of goals, uh, you know, stay healthy and keep competing in nationals. Uh, this was my this was my 10th national championships, uh, this last one. Dang. And so... I don't know. I mean, just continue competing at that level, um, you know, is, is a lot of fun. So we'll see. Dude, I still, you know, impressive. I mean, as hard as it gets, like clean and jerking uh, 300 pounds. So 137 yeah. uh, is still like a goal. It's still up there. Yeah. Have you hit it in training? Uh, I've hit. No, I've cleaned it. Uh, I have not jerked it. Uh, my best clean and jerk ever was 135. 
uh, I did raise I hate 131 recently and it was like fairly decent. So I, you know, again, it's like at this point in your like career, like in making any like PRs on your on your lips is tough. But yeah, yeah that's you know something to strive for. Well, so, dude, staying I, healthy and then yeah, pushing. like you just competed in August and you snatched 105 and cleaned like 131, right? Yeah, and that was my second best total ever. Damn, uh, that's actually. impressive yeah. at 35. That's freaking yeah. nuts, man. <laughs> yeah, not 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 too shabby. So, yeah, dude. Yeah, I'm just trying to think. Uh, like for me too, is like uh, trying to keep healthy, like staying like longevity wise. Like you already like you always know that like weightlifting will be there for you. So sometimes it's okay if you would like take a backseat or, you know, divvy it up, you know, change it up a little bit. Normally, how many times do you compete throughout the year? Like local uh, and so national, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say it's probably three to four a year. Um, I will say that the last few years I had pretty much done nationals and one other. So really only like two. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I said, like the lot, you know starting from like last year, I was like, yeah, doing more of the local meets. Um, it's fun. It's fun to get out there and kind of, you know, you're, you're there with the other lifters. It's like the community that you have that you build. It's great seeing people, um, from different gyms that you, you know, sometimes see on Instagram or you see them once a year, but you get to see them a little bit more if you're going to a lot more of the local meets. And, um, you know, also as someone who's like a little bit more experienced in weightlifting, going to the local meets is also a way to kind of like, you know, you're ultimately like what you're doing. And Tommy Kono, you say it a lot. It's like, you know, you're going out there and you're trying to like put on a show. You're trying to, um, you know, entertain the crowd, right? You're trying to like, you know, show them like what this sport is. Uh, so it's kind of a chance to do that by competing well at these small competitions and and showing them, you know, what a national level level weightlifter uh, kind of is. Absolutely. So I think that, that's something that for me has been like a, a more recent thing I've been trying to do is yeah, do more of the local competitions, uh, for that reason. Uh, yeah. Will you do more of like, um, like cut down to 61 or just like a train through as a light 67? Yeah. So usually good question. I usually, what I'll do is I'll kind of st- main just do it as like a train through meet. Um, and I find that in doing that, it just is a little bit less of that mental strain. So in terms of cutting down to 61, obviously I'll cut down for nationals and maybe one other meet during the year. Um, but for the most part, yeah, for other smaller ones, like just a train through meet. And I think that makes it more enjoyable for me, uh, and also just kind of makes it so that I can be there at the meet in a kind of a different, uh, just, yeah, again, enjoying it a little bit more, being a mentor to other people, uh, that are there uh, in the sport. Yeah, absolutely, man. I love that, man. Yeah. Like, yeah, like for me, I don't know, like. I've never really done too many train throughs. And I think first thing is because like I'm like really close to that weight because I usually sit at 75. Lately, I've just been right at 73. So like it doesn't take that much just to cut down a couple kilos to get right into it. So but maybe that's a good suggestion. Like you said, like take the stress off and just kind of have a train through meet more like a max out day. Right. Because sometimes a lot of our training doesn't really get to go for one R, you know, one rep maxes. But if it if the cards play right, maybe you get a crack at some PRs. Right. No, exactly. I think that there is something uh, fun about it. Yeah, in terms of that, like really just going out and making it like a heavy day. Uh, and you'll realize like, oh, being able to like eat a full breakfast and just take your time and not have to even like, you don't even have to show up like right one way and start and worry about scarfing down food. Like you go in there and you kind of are in like a different mindset, which is it's certainly fun. Exactly. Uh, enjoyable. Well, I'll be excited yeah. to see how you do in November. And I guess... Yeah. um. 
we'll probably close it out here. I got like a couple questions. Usually I just do like random questions I'll ask you. And then at the end, um, I'll just kind of, yeah, that's, I don't even know where I'm getting at, but I'm just going to ask a couple random questions and then we'll close it off. Is that cool? All right. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> All right. So I always say if you could eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, um, chicken katsu curry omelet mm, with the yeah, omelet yeah. yes it's... so for people that don't know what that is it's be like basically you have like a hot bed of rice uh you get like a japanese style uh omelet which is kind of like um it's pretty soft inside you cut it it splits open yes. on top of the rice put a bunch of like japanese curry which is like has like savory slightly spicy sweet uh it's just delicious with potato and carrot Plus, you get like the fried chicken cutlet on top. Oh man, that's I think that's all you need. Man, kind of cheating. It's kind of like a lot of everything. Yeah, a little bit of everything. It is. Yeah, that would be amazing. Oh, I could eat that every day. Yeah. And then, um, next question is, uh, what is your favorite movie? Uh oh, you know what? It's the one that we talked about, Tampopo. Tampopo. (laughs) Uh, So Tampopo is for anyone, uh, whether you're Japanese or not, it's super. It's really, really enjoyable. They call it like a instead of a spaghetti western it's like a ramen western uh but it just has some hilarious absurd storylines uh but it's uh ultimately like a very touching story and and just very funny very funny yeah i'm probably gonna watch it here today it's on my rest day uh next question we got is um if you had the chance to live with one person dead or alive who would it be Definitely uh, Tommy Kono. Yeah. Uh, Tommy Kono is, uh, yeah, certainly my all-time favorite lifter. For those that don't know, uh, he was a lifter in the 19, uh, mostly in like the 1950s. Um, he was the uh, one of the most decorated weightlifters. He was voted by the IWF the weightlifter of the century. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, he was recently voted lifter of the century. Uh, and he grew up, he went, he was nine years old when the war broke out. Uh, and he was in the internment camps. And that's actually where he first learned weightlifting. He had picked it up from a few guys out there. He unfortunately grew up and he was very sickly. He missed like a third of his uh, elementary school days because of uh, like really bad asthma. Mm. Um, his asthma kind of got better. Uh, he learned weightlifting in, in the camp, continued on with it. And, you know, he won two two gold two olympic gold medals one olympic silver medal that was like 52 56 and 60 uh and he set world records in uh, three i think three or four different weight classes set 26 world olympic records through his career so super decorated obviously at a time when he was facing a lot of uh discrimination you know that was in the 1950s so that was like just after world war ii it mm-hmm. happened um so you can imagine uh, all the things he had to go through but he was he was the man back then yeah like with all that yeah, Tommy Kona. yeah with all that and he still was like a goat for american weightlifting it's kind of wild right like exactly exactly <laughs> all right um next question is going to be marry fuck kill and it's going to be squat clean and jerk <laughs> <laughs> oh man <laughs> wow uh and you could take it however you want because some people will say like fuck as in a good thing or kill you know what i mean kill as in a good thing you know some people have their own <laughs> definitions for things so it's okay squat clean and jerk okay um no i'm sorry not squat not squat i meant to say snatch sorry take the snatch, snatch. Yeah, snatch, snatch yeah. clean and jerk okay I snatch clean up, and jerk yeah. okay 
Uh, Mary Snatch, I don't know. I just, uh, yeah. that's a movement that I just, I mean, you know, there's something about it too, where like sometimes I feel like people's relationship with squad with, with snatching uh, is kind of like a marriage. Like there are, everyone I feel like has ups and downs with their snatch, right? Mm -hmm. um, things that they adjust, that they change. And sometimes it's just, it works. Sometimes it doesn't, but you stick with it. And there's something that is rewarding about that. Uh, about that lift so i'm gonna say mary snatch i uh, i would ooh, hmm. <laughs> all right i guess i'm gonna kill the squat um and i i'll yeah that means uh i'm gonna fuck the clean yeah fuck the clean yeah no yeah, yeah i yeah, think yeah. i jacked it up it was it's supposed to be just a classic lift snatch and then clean and jerk not squat. Oh, take, snatch. take squat out. Oh, yeah. sorry. Snatch, clean, and I screw okay, this sorry. up. I um, screw this up. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. So, yeah, Mary Snatch. Um, Mary Snatch, because she's beautiful and it's hard, but it's graceful and you love it. Yeah. I'm going to kill the clean. Kill the clean. And I'll I'll fuck the jerk. Yeah. I did. You, I had something about, uh, I do enjoy, I enjoyed like jerks in the rack for sure. Yo, yeah, but cleaning. Oh, man. I don't know. It's like, Cleaning's a lot, right? In general, you think about anytime you have a clean yeah. complex written, it is like, oh my gosh, like, uh, you just know, you know, you're going to be in for it, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, me yeah, personally, that's yeah. like my favorite. It's like my favorite. It's the lift that I'm best at for some reason. So I love it. I'm like, yeah. So you like it? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't give a fuck. I'll, I'll fuck the clean, you know? <laughs> yeah, fuck the clean as in like, all right, you know, just fuck it. Let's just go. And then kill the, <laughs> kill the jerk because, you know, jerks makes champions. That's how you win. But, um, yep, yep. <laughs> all right. We'll close it off with uh, like it. your definition of a power because it is the Power Not podcast. And I'll just give you my definition, and I guess you can have your own. So basically, everyone always wants to battle. Where's that fine line between a power or nah, right? I always like to okay. say, like, if it's close to looking like parallel, like, I'm pretty lenient on it. Like, if the intent is there, and it's not your full depth, I'll consider it a power. I'm not too, like you know, super strict with it where like CrossFit is like the hip crease and all that other stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> what is your, uh, what is your definition? Yeah, I, I, I do go with uh hip crease, hip crease, like above the knee there, oh, yeah. you know? So like for myself <laughs> and I'm judging them, if I'm like, all right, that was a power snatch or that was like a nah, I'm be like, yeah, for me, it's going to be based on, on the, uh, on the hip crease. Yeah. All right, well, there you have it. He's just <laughs> straight there. It has to be hip crease or not. So. All right, well, hey, it was a pleasure talking to you, man. I've had so much fun, and I got to know you a lot more. And honestly, yeah. I just can't wait to start editing this so I can just put it out already. <laughs> dude, I love it. It was a blast. Thanks for having me. Uh, dude, we'll be in touch. We'll talk soon. Hey, we'll talk soon, brother.